would be able to apply it in our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. It was Valentine's Day 2022. I was finishing up the pink heart-shaped pancakes. The table was decorated and ready for a day of love. You see, we have a lot of traditions in the Worley family. But on Valentine's Day, if you come over, you'll see the red plates come out and the heart-shaped napkins. And it's the one time at breakfast where everybody gets a little box of chocolate at their place setting. And then, of course, those little heart candies, you know, that nobody buys to eat, but you buy them for the little messages, right? So you can kind of play around with them. You spread those out all over the table, and we make little messages to each other. And as I made my way to the table to celebrate this day of love with my family, my favorite people, my husband slid a gift across the table to me, and he had a huge smile on his face. I knew he was excited. Okay, if there's one thing you have to know about my husband, it's this. He has a knack for giving the best gifts, like the most thoughtful gifts, the ones that just took a lot of time and he paid attention to what he was doing. It has significant meaning. So when he gets excited about a gift, you can't help but get curious. And so as he slid it across the table, he said, I, I, let's not eat. Let's just open the gift. Just start with the gift. And I was like, mm, all right, okay, cool. So I grabbed the gift and I start to rip open the paper. I had to selfishly guard it because if you have young kids, they always want to unwrap your presents. As I started to take the paper off, I had this thought, this is going to be good. I, I lent an ear to the box, though, to make sure nothing was breathing or barking. Uh, it wasn't, but my husband has made that mistake before, surprising me on Valentine's Day with a puppy. <laughs> but I, I finished tearing off the paper, and I open the box, and I, I get the tissue paper all out of the way, and what do I find? Oh, a bunch of broken pottery. I, my heart dropped, but not because, not for me, for my husband, because I was sad because I knew he would be so sad that his carefully chosen gift was now shattered into pieces. And so with my heavy heart, as I kind of looked up at him, he was smiling, almost as if this was planned. Now, I know what you're thinking, and they run the marriage ministry around here? So, like any good wife, I tried not to say the first thing that wanted to come out of my mouth. So I went with something like, wow, I love it. <laughs> what is it? Or what was it? To which he rapidly responded with, and I quote, a representation of our lives. I'd settle for 12 long stem roses at this point. But to give you some context, we found ourselves in a really hard season. We were clinging to Jesus. We were following him. We were clinging to each other, trying to do the right thing. But our world felt shattered due to circumstances outside of our control. Our world felt flipped upside down. There was so much heartache. Tears, oh, so many tears. We often would look at each other and say, it's not supposed to be this way. So as I look down at all these broken pieces that I now have in my hands, 
I have to admit, disappointment flooded my thoughts. This wasn't the gift I expected. So I asked Mike the pressing question on my mind. What are we going to do with all these broken pieces? He had a, a look in his eyes and a smile that seemed to communicate there was something I was missing. And we'll circle back to that moment in a little bit, but I want to ask you this morning, have you ever felt like you were holding a bunch of broken pieces in life? Wondering, what do I do with all of this? Maybe it's the broken pieces of a lost relationship or a loved one who's passed away, a job. Maybe it's the broken pieces of a diagnosis or not getting a diagnosis. You find yourself maybe this morning wrestling with just a deep sense of letdown. Much like unwrapping a gift to discover it doesn't align with your set expectations. Life feels like you're sitting amidst a mess, chaos is all around, and you just find yourself saying, it's not supposed to be this way. What do we do now? This morning, I want us to explore together the timeless truths of God's word and how I believe they serve as a blueprint for what we're going to do with these broken pieces. You see, this is the book that can hold the weight of that question this morning. So we're going to look at it together. Uh, we're in a series of Jesus's final words to his disciples. And if you have your Bible, you can start to open up to John 14. But we're going to be in that chapter today. And as we're in this series of Jesus's final teachings, these are literally some of Jesus's last words to his disciples. And so Jason kind of kicked off the, the upper room discussion last week. And this week as we were there, again, we meet the disciples sitting with Jesus in the upper room to celebrate the Passover meal. Now, this was a meal that was significant to celebrate among the Jews. The purpose of it was to retell and relive the liberation that the Israelites had experienced from slavery out of Egypt. It was a time to not only celebrate, but it was to foster a deep sense of uh, celebration, remembrance, and gratitude for all that God does. So when we today open up to this chapter, uh, we tend to think Last Supper, which is great. But you know what? The disciples didn't know it was the Last Supper. They thought they were getting together to celebrate Passover. So here was the expectation of the evening for them. It's going to be a great celebration. There's going to be laughter. There's going to be food, like really good food. You know when you have something to look forward to where you're like, man, that's going to be the best food I've had in a very, very long time? That's what Passover was for them. They would eat good food. They would laugh. They would remember. They would retell the stories of God's hand all over the Israelite people. It would be one of those times that you would leave and you would go, oh, that's exactly what I needed to hear. 
joy was the primary expected emotion of the evening. But if you were to walk into the upper room with this chapter, if you were to walk in to join the party fashionably late, you wouldn't walk in to find laughter and them talking to each other and cheering. Instead, you would be met by a solemn-looking bunch with a primary emotion of sadness filling the room. To make sense of it, you might go, uh, what did I miss here? What's going on? To which I would imagine Peter would probably chime in first because he seems like he always has something to say. And he would say, uh, well, you know, uh, the night kind of started weird. Jesus, Jesus got down on the floor and washed our feet. To which another disciple would probably chime in and be like, hey, Peter, don't forget you were rebuked. Another one speaks up in a more hushed tone and says, Jesus said one of us would betray him. Tension could probably tangibly be felt in the room as they start to whisper to each other, who do you think it is? I think we're safe. It's probably somebody that Jesus isn't sitting close to. And as they whisper, eventually Judas is revealed and makes a fast exit. But then Jesus goes on to say, I'm leaving, and you cannot follow me. Can, can you imagine the anxiety that this would have created for those men? I mean, they left everything to follow Jesus. They left their livelihood. They've spent the last three years basically attached to his side. And not to mention, just prior they saw Jesus ride into the city on a donkey and people were picking up palm branches and screaming, Hosanna, and finally giving Jesus the praise he deserved. So of course they thought ministry was gaining momentum and now you're gonna peace out? To squash any expectation of joy for the evening, Peter boldly goes, well, Jesus, I would die for you only to get the response from Jesus, no, you won't. In fact, before the rooster crows three times, Peter, you will deny me. So it was to be a joyous celebration is now a solemn, confusing mess. Anyone ever had one of those experiences before? not what you thought you were going to get. The disciples find themselves holding broken pieces. Whether you want to call it confusion, disappointment, or heavy-hearted questioning, one thing is clear. It's not what they expected it to be. But Jesus has something to say. To them, and to us. And so we're going to look at that this morning. So if you're in John chapter 14, we're going to look at verse 1. If you're ready to hear what God has to say this morning, would someone say, let's go? Let's go. All right, thank you. Okay, a little disclaimer for you. I'm a homeschool mom, so I do better when you participate. Okay, I tell my kids this all the time. If you participate, honey, we're going to have a lot more fun doing this. So, we good? 
All right, let's go. Read with me in verse 1. This is Jesus' response to his disciples as they are swirling in chaos and holding broken pieces. Do not let your hearts be troubled. We got to slow down. Let me read that again, but over us, over you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. We're going to stop there for now. Will you pray with me as we dive into God's word? God, this morning, we expectantly want to hear from you. Would you stir our hearts? Would you calm our minds? And would you give us the words that you want us to walk out of here with, Lord? We truly expect to have an encounter with you this morning as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we ask the question of what to do with all these broken pieces, the first action step we have to take is to stop. You see, the very first thing out of Jesus' mouth as their hearts and minds are swirling in chaos, disappointment, and confusion is an imperative command. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Stop. Church, let me ask you, what does stop mean? To which you say, stop. Yeah, there you go. Let me ask again. What does stop mean? Good. You get an A+. All right. In our home, we have this term we use with our three children, and it's called immediate obedience. In our house, we say obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. And so when I say to do something like stop, guess what? You stop immediately. Doesn't it sound like we run a pretty amazing home? (laughs) Can I tell you what we have in our home, though? We have three little sinners who don't always feel like it. There's something about their hearts that doesn't connect with the immediate part of obedience, especially the baby, right? Am I right about this? Our youngest, his name is Ralphie. Oh, my gosh. If his name isn't cute enough. Oh, yeah. Look, there's a picture of him just so you can see him again. Doesn't he just want to, your heart just wants to melt when you see him. I mean, look at those eyes. Oh, you guys. And if you haven't heard him talk, his squeaky little voice, it just gets you every time. I can't say no to him. I'm always like, well, go ask your dad. Go ask your dad. He's got me wrapped around his finger. But I remember when Ralphie was learning how to walk, he had this fascination with the stairs. He loved to climb the stairs And as he would climb, what would he do? He would get halfway up the stairs only to topple all the way back down to the bottom, cry, and then repeat. So it created this daily challenge of trying to keep Ralphie away from the stairs. He loved it. I would be doing something, washing dishes, only to like look over, and he's like has this half grin on his face, and he's halfway up, like ready to topple forward. Twitch would be like, oh, jeez, okay. And I'd grab him off the stairs, and I'd bring him back down the stairs to the bottom, and I'd be like, no, Ralphie, no stairs. And I'd set him down. I would turn around to go back to what I'm doing. And what is he doing, my friends? He's already climbing back up the stairs. So I wanted to make my life a little easier. 
So I grabbed some chairs and I was like, I'm just gonna start barricading the stairs so he can't even get to them so I can keep working on what I need to. Well, wouldn't you know it, that little Ralphie thought I was creating an American Ninja Warrior course for him to be able to climb the stairs. And so he just saw it as a challenge and it was like, challenge accepted, mom, here I go. Despite my efforts, he persisted, finding any way he could to reach the stairs. Isn't that us sometimes? Instead of heeding the command to stop, we let our troubled hearts and minds drive us to seek ways to get what we want. In a moment of honesty, for me this week, it was comfort. I just wanted comfort. I was sick and I had sick kids. And I was like, I need relief and I need it now. And if I'm honest with you, I was like, Sunday is coming and this cough has got to go. And so if you were at our house this week, it looked like a pharmacist. Like we had all the things. And as it all sat out on our counter, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna use this, I'm gonna use this, I'm gonna use a little bit of this. I think we have a picture of it somewhere. Uh, my husband was like, I gotta take a picture of this because this is absolutely ridiculous. And so, oh yeah, this is our counter. Um, and so I'm taking all this stuff little by little. And then wouldn't you know, an hour later, I was like, that ain't working. All right, I'm Googling something. I'm gonna go get a medicine ball from Starbucks. Not working. I think I'm gonna go get an IV. Not working. I'm gonna go to the steam room. And I tried all these things within my control to get better. Now hear me say, taking care of my body was the right thing to do all week, but it wasn't the most important thing for me to do. What does the blueprint say? It says to stop. Because anxiousness was just driving all my decisions all week. My poor husband. Stop. Jesus continues saying in the verse, believe in God, believe also in me. Now here he's not only recalling their rich Jewish roots of faith in the invisible God. I mean, that's why they're together, right? To celebrate Passover and talk about all that God has done in their history. That was unquestionable. But he's also emphasizing, believe also in me, this importance of continuing to trust Jesus. You see, over the past three years, the disciples had been repeatedly invited to put their trust in Jesus. That first time he said, come and follow me, they had to trust and leave their livelihood. When there was no financial provision for them and Jesus said, just come, we'll figure it out, they had to trust. When the storm came, trust. When they occurred opposition, or when they, their hearts struggled, but yet they submitted to his authority, even though they didn't understand some of the things he was doing, trust. And this wasn't the first time that Jesus is asking. So what's different this time compared to all those other times? It's this. A deeper level of crisis means being called into a deeper level of trust. I'm going to say that a little differently. Your deeper level of crisis is an invitation into a deeper level of trust. Let that sit for a second. 
as we move on into verse 2, it says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Sometimes I wish I could hear how Jesus, like what tone did he use, right? Is he like, hello, I'm the truth teller. I told you I was going to do it. Like, do you not believe me? Or is he gentle and compassionate? I told you, I told you guys, I'm going to find this place for you. We don't know, but we know that he tells truth. Verse three, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. You see, Jesus is conveying a crucial message here. His intention is not merely to satisfy their curiosity or alleviate immediate pain. He's revealing that he has a plan, assuring them that there is a future time that they will be together. When he says, I go to prepare a place for you, it's not an undertaking of a home improvement project, Chip and Joanna Gaines styles, where he's knocking down walls and fluffing pillows and setting up all the decor until the last piece is perfect and then sitting down and eating cupcakes until the reveal. No. Like Jesus is about to engage in a profound battle. He's mere hours away from the cross Here he is comforting his friends, but here's what he's about to do. His plan is that he's about to to take this road where he will be beaten, he will be mocked, he will be spit on and humiliated. But on this cross, he will take on all of the sins of the world. So guess what? That's your sin and my sin. It's the sin you commit and it's the sin that's committed against you that feels unforgivable. He will take all of that on on the cross. Why? Why? to make a way for us, for them to triumph over any principality that attempts to make us believe that our lives are irreparably broken. Navigating Jesus's profound message requires a shift in our perspective though. So we have to stop, but we also have to trust. So back to my experience with Ralphie and the stairs, merely insisting on stopping wasn't enough. Not to mention, have you ever tried to keep any little boy from climbing something? I had a friend come over once and give valuable insight. She said, rather than fixating on stopping, why don't you try redirecting his attention? It worked. Friends, you have a God, we have a God who doesn't say stop and stay stuck trying not to climb the stairs anymore. He says, I have something better for you. He wants to redirect your attention completely. For me this week, as I was sitting and staring at the circumstances of being uncomfortable and being sick, because ain't nobody got time to be sick. And as my mind and my thoughts were were stuck on that, anxiety was like running the laps of my mental staircase. But it wasn't until the Lord was like, no, 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 eyes over here, eyes over here, that I finally began to see, oh, no, what God has for me 
is that in my weakness, his power is made perfect. So if I show up on Sunday sick, just nobody sit in the front row. Sorry, I'm good. (laughs) But his power is made perfect in my weakness. Oh, guess what? This morning isn't about me. It's about God. So he shows up through me. And when I could take my eyes off of my circumstance and onto what he was doing, it changes everything because he has so much more. So I want to ask you this morning, what's your attention on? Is it on that diagnosis or not getting the diagnosis and just wishing you had a diagnosis? Is it on that broken relationship that just didn't work out? Is it on the job that you thought, God wants me to do this, but clearly it's not? What is your focus on? And how can you get your eyes on Jesus? Now, I'm no construction expert, but I'm pretty confident that a blueprint is not drawn up just to sit on the construction site, right? It's the game plan. It's the guide to to look at, to study and know how everything is supposed to go when you're building something. And so when it comes to the blueprint of God's word, same thing goes. I've been challenged that this isn't meant to just sit around. It's not meant for me to even casually pick it up and try to read it and get something for the day. No, this is meant for me to meditate on. Man, and when I'm meditating on it and God's speaking to my heart, I jot it down on post-it notes and then stick them up everywhere in our house. Why? Because then I can't avoid it. It's everywhere. When it's everywhere, it helps us steer our minds to what God has. This is more than just words on a paper. But can I be honest with you, even in my week this week, it wasn't just the sickness. There was a bunch of other things that happened too in the last few weeks leading up to this. And all, I I found myself this week sitting in like despair, just like sitting in despair, feeling sorry for myself. And I couldn't get my eyes on Jesus. And I'm like, Lord, you want me to preach this? And I just can't even get my own eyes on you. Here's the beauty of simple church and why we talk about spiritual family here. Do you know who started texting me right as I'm being honest with the Lord? My spiritual family. Hey, Holly, look at this first. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, bring your requests to the Lord. Hey, Holly, I'm praying for you. Hey, Holly, I know you probably can't get out of bed, but guess what? I'm praying that the Spirit works in you this weekend. When you can't get your own eyes to Jesus, your spiritual family will help you get there. And that is what we are about at RST. So when we ask what to do with all these broken pieces, we have to first stop and redirect our focus on him. And then the second step, action step we have to take is we have to ask. Now you're going, oh, hold up. We're already asking a question. I know, but just take a journey with me for a minute. When hardship happens, we ask a lot of questions. The disciples are living proof of this. Uh, If we go back to last week's passage, even as Jesus starts this meal and things start to get a little bit spicy, he's like, Peter chimes in and is like, uh, wait, Lord, you said you're leaving? Where are you going? Tell us, where are you going? 
And then in this passage, after we talk about uh, that Jesus goes to prepare a place, another disciple chimes in and says, um, you said we know the way, but we actually don't know the way. Can you tell us the way? And as their questions go, they actually seem to get a little bit more desperate. Jesus talks about how him, as you keep reading, he talks about how him and the father are one in this intimate relationship. And Philip just kind of gets super desperate and throws out a Hail Mary and is like, just show us the father and that'll be enough for us, we promise. And then later on towards the end of the chapter, Jesus is like, yeah, I'm leaving and the world won't see me, but you will see me. Okay, wait, can you just tell us how are you going to manifest yourself to us? You see, in the midst of their trial and in the heaviness of their shattered plans, they want answers. They want the fear, the doubt, the insecurity to go away. They want to know the full-blown plan. Personal admission, I want the same thing. I want quick relief from the pain. When life feels confusing or disappointing, I want the doubt to flee very quickly. I don't want the anxiety to have any hold on me. I want answers. And when I don't see the full-blown plan like that, my questions get a little bit more desperate. God, where are you? Have you left me? Why haven't you showed up in this mess? Ever find yourself asking those questions when it doesn't make sense? Let me share some incredible news with you this morning. We not only have a God who hears our toughest questions, but he responds to them. And so this morning, I want to narrow our focus to one powerful way that Jesus answers his disciples, and it's found in verses 4 through 6. Read along with me. Jesus declares, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, uh, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus didn't promise that he would show us the way. He says that he is the way. He didn't commit to teaching truth. He said, I am truth. He didn't come to promise that he would show you the secret way of how to live your life. He said, I am life. And if you didn't catch it in the verse, the only way to heaven, the only way to the father is through a personal relationship with Jesus. What Jesus is inviting them into, what he's inviting us into is this truth and to orient our entire lives around it. In this moment, the disciples don't get it. But later when they do, it changes everything. Later on in John, we see Jesus visit his disciples after his resurrection. And he says these words to them. In this world, you will have troubles. There you go. It's a promise. But take heart. Because I have overcome the world. In your current situation where doubt 
and trials are inevitable, take heart. How do we take heart? Well, it's taking all those questions and asking one new question. So here's the new ask. As you hold all of those broken pieces, God, what do you want me to see? God, what do you want me to see? And let him speak. And when the immediate relief doesn't come, and when it gets worse before it gets better, and when the answer finally shows up and it's not what you were hoping for, know this, he's already overcome the world. And his ways are higher than your ways. I want you to hear these verses read over you in whatever circumstance you find yourself that God is stirring around in your heart. Would you hear these words over that? It's Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, and it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Hmm. Back to Valentine's Day, when I asked Mike, what are we going to do with all these broken pieces? You see, the look in his eyes and the smile on his face, I knew there was a purpose so I guess what I was really asking him was, okay, babe, like, what do you want me to see here? To which he responded, we're going to watch God build something new. And then he started to talk about how these broken pieces came with a kit and you take sandpaper and you sand them down and then you take this glue and then you create something and you get to be artistic. And this was my outward response. Oh, honey, what a thoughtful gift. My inward response, slightly different. I don't want anybody touching my broken pieces. I don't want to make anything out of this. Because I thought that those pieces didn't need to be touched. The past needed to stay in the past. So I packed up the gift back into the box, and it sat on our dresser for months, maybe even a year. And here's why it sat there. Because I was still feeling pretty fragile myself. The pain, the heartache, the loss we had experienced, I didn't want to pick up the pieces. Because I thought, as we picked up the pieces, I would have to relive some of the most painful moments of my life. But I'll never forget the day that God stirred into my heart, you're not meant to have a bunch of broken pieces. And so in my confusion and in my disappointment and in my hurting, 
I got before the Lord and I said, God, what do you want me to see? Something new. But you have to receive the gift, Holly. So lastly, as we talk about bringing the broken pieces, we have to receive. So we first stop, we second ask, and then we receive. See, after Jesus tells them that he is life, he goes on to talk about his intimate relationship with the Father if you keep reading through John. He talks about being sent and doing the work of his Father and clinging fast to that. He assures the disciples that they will do even greater works when they choose to orient their lives around the truth. Now, when he mentions that they're going to do greater works, it's not to communicate that it'll exceed the effort of Jesus. But here's the beautiful part about it. These works will be considered greater because it's done by regular people whom the power of Christ has filled. That's us. That's them. So look with me. We're going to pick up in verse 15. And Jesus goes on to tell them, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do you know your love for God is genuine? You will naturally want to follow and obey his teachings. He goes on in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. See, there's a gift that is coming for them. Those greater works aren't to be done on their own. Look at the last part of verse 17. He says, for he dwells with you and will be in you. What better, what's better than walking with Jesus for three years? Having the spirit inside. Come what may, it's a promise that you will never be alone. Here's the role of the Holy Spirit in their lives and in our lives, to put it simply. It's to live the life of Jesus through you, with your own personality, your own gifts, and talents to the glory of God the Father. Today, uh, earlier this week, as I was preparing for today, I was kind of wrestling few through things. And I, I had a friend say these words to me. She said, Holly, as you're wrestling, I have complete confidence of the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Praise God. I didn't have to figure out what to say to you today. It's the Holy Spirit. Praise God that when I am trying to be the wife that I'd like to be, it's the Holy Spirit who gets to cultivate that change in me. Or when I'm trying to be a patient mom, praise God, it's not left to my own but it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also the one who helps us understand the blueprint. As Jesus is finishing up his words to his disciples in this chapter, he says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, Jesus knows their hearts are still swirling in questions and chaos. 
But peace is not the absence of trials or hardships. Rather, it's the calm assurance that God is in it. I don't have to be afraid. And you don't have to be afraid no matter what you face. You see, as the disciples begin to receive this peace, we witness a beautiful transformation, especially as we get to the book of Acts, right? Where we see God start to take the pieces they were carrying and create something new. When I was fully ready to receive the gift from Mike, we carefully laid out all those broken pieces And we began to reconstruct them in a way that was not like before, but something new. Do you want to see something cool this morning? Thanks, love. See, with those broken pieces came a kit called kintsugi art, which is a Japanese tradition where you take lacquer mixed with powdered metals and you begin to fill the cracks so that the beauty is focused on the cracks being brought back together. Now, I'm fully aware that this might not look like much to you. But can I tell you what this is to me? This is a picture of me receiving all that God has for me. Of inviting him into some of the darkest, hardest parts of my life and watching him take those pieces and put them back together in a way I could never imagine. And here's the thing. I thought bringing my pieces to Jesus meant I would just cast them on him. But you know what? He actually cast things on me. He took my trauma and he gave me healing. He took my anger and he gave me compassion for those who've hurt me the most. He took away fear and he gave me joy. He gave me wholeness. So I imagine that there probably are a lot of you in this room who are feeling very fragile. or disappointed by life and what's going on. But guess what? That's where the invitation calls the loudest. So I want to invite you this morning to bring your broken pieces to Jesus and watch him create something new. Would you bow your heads with me? God, you, your blueprint says that you are the potter and we are the clay. So this morning, Lord, would you just remind us as we take steps towards you, as we understand what it looks like to bring our broken pieces to you, God, you are good. You are a father. You give us a helper. You adopt us. You bring comfort and peace. Lord, would we just take a minute
just 30 seconds of silence and ask, what do you want us to see this morning? Would you do that where you're sitting right now? Just ask God, what do you want me to see, Jesus? we know that you love to speak to your children. We know that this is not the only time that you will reveal that answer to us. So would you give us space today to continue to hear from you? Lord, we love you. 